Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337 706-0111. Broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111. We will be doing lots of interviews today. So it won't be... um, won't be a lot of time to call in, but now the first segment of each hour normally, except for now, are we going to hopefully be getting Coach Deggs around around 9 o'clock each Monday. But other than that, the first segment uh, is normally open phone lines, and then there will be one or two others as the, the day goes on. So, you know, you never know what's going to happen. If you knew what was going to happen, sports would be boring. Many of us have said that over the years. But, wow, I mean, there's – there's what you expect to happen, and then there's what you don't even consider as an option. Like, what kind of odds could you have gotten yesterday when we were doing the show that ODU, ODU was not going to reach 40 points? They didn't reach. They weren't even a three-pointer away from getting to 40 points. They shot 23%. From the field. You know, I thought Arkansas State would play tough with Troy, and they did. They lost by four. Uh, South Alabama won, not extra comfortably, but they won by seven. But Texas State beating ODU by 29. I mean, if I'd have given you Texas State and 20 yesterday, how many people would not have taken that? And 20? We're talking about 20. Georgia Southern Monroe went about like I thought. I mean, it was a competitive game. It was close. I remember seeing the halftime score, but it seemed like it was really close at halftime, and it was close until about two and a half, three minutes to go, and Georgia Southern pulled away a little bit at the end and won by nine, but it was a, certainly a competitive game. So, uh, you know, that it went kind of like I thought. I thought Monroe would compete, but again, they they had now lost. They finished the season on an eight-game losing streak. They just hadn't closed the game in quite a while, and uh, they did not do it yesterday. So the Cajuns will play Georgia Southern tomorrow. And, you know, th- that game last night started about 7.30. The, I don't know why the men's day moved along quicker than the women's day because the Cajuns game, women's on Wednesday, started about 8. Last night's game didn't start much after 7.30. It was not real far past 7.30. So maybe there's some hope that the Cajuns will play closer to 7.30 tomorrow and hopefully Sunday. We'll see how that plays out. So any thoughts you may have on there? Um, we've got lots of interesting baseball series over, well, some, in, the, the Cajuns-Campbell game series should be interesting. Uh, Campbell is 6-1 and one 
by the way, if you're trying to figure out what LSU, LSU's about to play Butler and Central Connecticut State. Campbell played Butler. Campbell scored 44 runs in a three-game series against Butler. In the second game of that series, they beat Butler 25-6. to So... I don't I don't know about this LSU series may not be much. I don't know. This might be. I I wonder if they're gonna invoke the the ten run rule. Because I know that's an SEC thing only, but again, uh in the in in one of the games well the game I was at, the second game of the BYU Cajun series, there was one of I don't know what his title is, but he's like one of these regional umpires, ex umpires who kind of like monitors the umpires. I guess he's like a some sort of director or whatever. You know, I don't know what his title is, but anyway, he was sitting there monitoring, and he was sitting next to me, and he said that the previous weekend he was on the East Coast, and might have even been Campbell. No, it was Navy playing someone else. I forget who. And they played with the 10-run rule. The coaches agreed with it before the game. So apparently that it is theoretically a possibility in, not, in non-conference games to do that. But, man, they might need to do that with LSU. I don't know much about Central Connecticut State, but this, again, Campbell scored 44 runs in three games against. I learned my Butler. lesson last week. I'm not going to be out here disrespecting college baseball programs. So. I've already done a little bit of research. I'm ahead of you on Central Connecticut State. They okay. actually they actually have a pretty decent program in, the, in their conference. Now, obviously, the Northeast Conference is not the SEC. It's not even the Sun Belt. But they finished second last year, and they're projected to be in the top three again. So I think they went 29 and, 29 and 17 last year. So obviously their talent level shouldn't be on par with LSU, but they're not like, you know, a team that won five or six games last year. And they are a Division One team that – should uh they should be at least moderately competitive. Well, hopefully so. Just because again, it, I don't care who it is, whether you're pulling for the team or not pulling. Like twenty five to six college baseball game. That's just that's just not. It doesn't do anybody any good. It's just not. There's just nothing good about it, in my opinion. Just nothing. Yeah, I agree. And I think um, LSU's probably at the point now where well, I don't know because they got they had a good game on Tuesday against Texas, and that was kind of the one and. You know, I guess again we we keep kind of saying they really don't need to play anybody great because of LSU because of SEC play, but they'd probably like to get tested before SEC play so that they don't feel like they're kind of playing catch up, getting ready to play really good opponents. Well, yeah, but like play, the game against Texas, that's a great game, right? Win that or was lose, a great, that's a great game. That You're was facing a great top notch pitching, and that's good. You need that. The other thing I think that they can take away from this weekend, regardless of you know whether they blow a few, you know, it's a few blowouts or not, is you get to play four games in four days, which is something the Cajuns did with BYU, and that's something that I think coaches like to do at least once or twice because that prepares you because, you know, in regional play and in um, conference tournament play, you might have to play four games in four days, maybe even five games in, in five days, however it ends up working out with the schedule. So they'll get a chance to kind of test their pitching depth a little bit playing uh, Friday through Monday. They're playing Butler a second time on Monday. For whatever reason, that's how they, uh, they, how, how they did this schedule. Uh, but Campbell looks like a... A good team. I mean, they're six and one. Um, they're hitting like three thirty now. Again, you, you know, you can take some of that with a grain of salt, but I, I you can't like they won forty something games last year, and they 
beat Georgia Tech. They put 15 runs in the fir- against Georgia Tech in the first game of the Knoxville Regional, and then they got beat by Tennessee, which everyone – and then Georgia State Tech got them on the backside. But but still, I mean, they, they won a re- they won a regional game last year and won over 40 games. So, so they're a good program who is – and they can really hit. Now, their pitching stats are pretty pedestrian. You know, uh, they've given up some runs. You know, for instance, they swept Butler, but the but the third game of that series, the first one was 9-4, to four, and the second one was that 25-6 game I was talking about. The uh, the third game they won ten to nine, so they also they've also given up some runs. So it'll it'll be interesting to see what the pitching Cajun pitching staff does against. Campbell's offense, which is really good. Yeah, and Campbell picked to win the Big South Conference once again, which, you know, again, it's it's a mid-major level conference, but it's uh, it's not the worst one out there. There's some pretty decent teams around. Um, that's a, uh, you know, pretty funny. Um, I'm looking at their preseason poll. The last place team, if I'm reading this correctly, the last place team in the preseason poll got one first place vote. So I guess one coach feels very differently about Radford than the rest of the conference coaches did. Wow. But Campbell with six first place votes and the overall number one spot. So they are expected to win their conference. And I think their team a year ago, probably pretty comparable to UL's. Their their team actually might have been a little better than UL's team it was a year ago. And yeah, they went into that regional and, and won a game early and had a chance to uh, to win uh, you know most of the games they played in. They are a team that seems to want to outscore you. They kind of remind me a little bit of Texas State in that regard, a team that's just going to try and score a, a ton of runs. And maybe they have some pitching deficiencies, but they're going to maybe try and hide it by scoring 10 runs a game. Yeah. So, yeah, great test for the UL pitching staff. I think that's the thing to watch. And, you know, we imagine UL is going to score some runs in this series as they've done throughout the year. But, um, yeah, I think taking – this is a, the first series for sure. Well, I guess the BYU one as well. But you take two out of three in this series, you're going to feel great. This is not – I wouldn't expect a sweep one way or the other. But this, this – we Look, keep saying that – If this they, go, be the if they go six and one against BYU and Campbell, yes. Right, and, and these are the two – these are kind of the two big ones in non-conference, right? You're going to take a step down when you play high point. And now, not to say maybe I need to do my research on high point before I say that, but – these, uh, this is probably your last really big non-conference tune-up series before you hit the conference slate, which, again, the conference schedule starts a little earlier now Now that we have a million teams in the Sun Belt. So you don't have that long, really. Yeah, and a lot of good teams and competitive teams once you get to conference play, obviously. Then you've got softball. We talked to Coach Glasgow yesterday, and they're playing McNeese in Texas today. Tomorrow they're playing Tennessee State and – Princeton, and then they're playing Texas again. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. It, you know, they're going to be used to this kind of schedule, having played in Clearwater. And I, I wasn't real knowledgeable about Texas. I mean, I certainly saw him play several times last year against the Cajuns, and I guess I didn't really pay attention to their classifications. I was a little surprised that they were younger. Like Coach Glasgow said, because remember, last year they got off to that awful start. They went 0-6 in the Clearwater region or 0-5, however many games they played. They didn't win a game. And and then, you know, the Cajuns beat them and competed with them, and they got off to that slow start. And I guess I just had it in my mind, well, there were a young team that got off to a slow start, but apparently they weren't because – and then they ended up playing for the national championship. Yeah, they were a World Series team, and they – you talk about them being young, but they've played well. They're uh, twelve and two, and I mean they have they've played three or four ranked opponents. Again, 
The funny thing is I keep saying nobody that the Cajuns play, at least in non-conference early in the year, is going to have played the type of schedule that they've played because there's right. only a couple of teams in the country that have played as many top 10 teams as them. But Texas has won some games. I think they're a program that expects to win some games. And even when they're younger, kind of like LSU, everyone said, oh, it might be a transition year, and then they start the year 14-0. and So they're still going to be a very good team that's probably going to you know, vary around the – top 20 to top 30 so these are important rpr games now i don't think i'll get to watch any of them because they're on the texas ones are on longhorn network and the other ones doesn't look like they're on tv, on TV at all. correct so yes i won't see much cajun softball but maybe i'll get a chance to listen to a little bit of the radio and follow along and hopefully they uh you'd like them to win you know more games than they lose and then you again we talked about with the ranked opponents especially on the road if you get that split that's big well you know what you really hope yeah you hope to beat princeton tennessee state mcneese and if you split with Texas, I mean, that's just tremendous uh, weekend. So we'll, 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 we'll see what they do. We'll see how, like, I'm sure Carly will pitch at some point. Uh, we'll see how she does, that kind of stuff. So it is, um, it, it you know, again, a big weekend, not as big as other weekends, but some, a lot of baseball. Obviously, the biggest thing is the Cajuns will play in Pensacola, Tomorrow evening, 7.30 or so, against Georgia Southern in their first game in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. We'll see how that plays out. We'll talk more about that later, but for now, we'll take a timeout and get to Nick Fontenot. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, perfect song. Leading into our conversation about the Pelicans and maybe a few other things with our friend Nick Fontenot. How are you, sir? You really think the sun is coming? Well, he, but here, but here's what I'm talking. It's amazing what a win can do because it just changes your mind. Like I, you know, when we first started this, however many weeks ago, I was kind of positive and you were kind of negative. And then when they lost to Orlando, I was like, oh. Man, this is going to be harder than I thought it was going to be. But you get a win at Portland, and then now, I think I saw this morning that Steph Curry's not playing tonight. Unless right. I so, misheard yeah. that. Mis- no, you're right. Yeah, uh, that's that's what I that's what I heard as well. I mean, I, that that's right. positive. That magic. Well, yeah, that magic win wasn't that. I mean, that magic loss wasn't that long ago. I mean, that was a uh, was Monday, was Monday night. But yeah, still, was I was like, "Oh, that it, it might be worse than I think." Okay, so I'm not saying you, it's it means you're going to win, but at least you got a better chance of winning without Curry. Then you play at Sacramento; oh, they might score too many points, but you you can't win every game. But then you come home for four games against teams that. A week or two ago would have been – I remember when I looked at this schedule, like prior to the All-Star break, I was like, man. But, like, uh, Dallas is – you know, they won a game, but they it's not like they've been playing that great. And, and OKC is kind of slipping. And Portland you just beat on the road, and the Lakers are injured. 
And then you play the Rockets twice. Then you play the Spurs. Then you play the Hornets. So the schedule, which two weeks ago didn't really look, it looked kind of daunting to me for whatever reason. Now, after this win, man, if you get the win tonight, you got a chance to make some hay here. Yeah, it definitely looked pretty glum after that magic loss. And and it just seemed like none of these games were going to really go our way. And then they picked up the win at Portland. And Kevin, you're right, it just changed the outlook on these next few games, like in the next, I would say, eight games, if they can go six and two, you know, then I think it'd be doing pretty good. And that Portland game was so big because both of those teams are, are kind of fighting for that same area of the of the playoff uh, battle. And, and and on the road against uh, Damian Lillard, who's been so hot. And, uh, you know, Brandon Ingram had a great game and they got a win. So, so you're right. The Magic game wasn't that long ago, but yet it seems so distant now because they got that win. So one win has completely changed everything. And and again, the schedule is doable here. Now you got to play well. It's like any game. I mean, you got to you got to play well. So I mean, I again, I, I hate blowing up one win and making it bigger than it really is, but other than Ingram going off. Now, look, if it's going to take Ingram scoring 40 points to win these games, and then then all of this, we're, we're not going to be playing Here Comes the Sun. It's going to be the long and winding road, you know. So, um, <laughs> I mean, you know, so, like, w- w- did you see anything other than Ingram blowing up that gives you hope for the future? Yeah, I, I did. And the future, maybe not this year. Like, this year, I don't know if they can, you know, make that run and, and get up there, but but for the future, as of the next couple of years, they went small at the end of the game, and they they put Herb Jones at the five, and it really worked. And that's something that I think a lot of people had maybe wanted. And it's something that you can see because I think the the common wisdom is that Jonas Valanciunas is not going to be here next year. They're gonna they're gonna move on from him, and so you got to figure out what you're gonna do, and especially adding Zion in that mix. Like, how is that gonna work? So you you went you went small with CJ and, and Trey. And, and and those guys there, and then you had a uh, you had Herbert the five, and he, and he he played really well, and it was very effective. Is a lot of people are calling it like that death lineup, kind of similar to what Golden State did with Draymond at the five, and and it, it was just it was very effective. So it's something that I can see them doing in the future, and it was very it was very good to see Willie Green have a good game because he hasn't had a good one in a while. He made I don't know if he made any wrong moves. I would have maybe started Trey Murphy, but other than not starting Trey Murphy. He made a lot of very good moves, and I think a big reason why they won the game was because of Willie Green. So those things right there, going with that small lineup that I think a lot of people wanted to see if it could work, and it did work, and then also Willie Green just making a lot of good adjustments and putting the right guys where they needed to be, and that's the reason why they won. But how much of that had to do, that small lineup thing you're talking about, had to do with the Blazers and looking forward, are there just too many teams that that would give you a bad matchup against or not really? Yeah, definitely, and that's what that's what you want to see. Like, could it work against uh, a Denver, or could it work against a team like that? Maybe not, but I think that's what that's what we want to see. I want to see if it can work, and then you adjust from there. Like, can, can you can you be effective? I mean, are you looking at a team like the Warriors and saying, well, would that work against some teams? I mean, it's a it's not a mismatch. Like Draymond Green at the five is is giving up a lot of height to a lot of teams, but man, they just make it work. So. Can, can the Pelicans maybe add a few pieces to maybe kind of mimic that? I'm not saying, of course, they're not going to be as good as the Warriors. The Warriors have two of the top five three-point shooters ever. We're not going to have that. But I think they can, they can do their own version 
of that lineup and be, and be very effective moving forward. So that's what I like to see. At least they tried it. Like they tried something. What we were doing wasn't working, so they tried something different. They made some adjustments, and it ended up working out, and they got a win. All right, so while we're on, here comes the sun mode here. Um, you played – the last time you, you played Sacramento, when is that? Monday. So when you played Sacramento not that long ago, probably three, four weeks ago, you crushed them. Is there any way you should just match up with Sacramento for whatever reason? I mean, I think they match up with all these teams coming up on the schedule. And, I, and we talked about winnable games uh, earlier when we were doing this, and I didn't see a whole lot of winnable games. Man, every game coming up is winnable. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to win them all, but they should do very well in this stretch. So it, it, it was a while where we were going through a gauntlet of teams where they, weren't, they didn't have too many winnable games and they were just going to take some L's. I think here they should win more than these games, more of these games, then they lose, and if Brandon Ingram keeps playing the way that he's playing and scoring the basketball, I don't need him to get 40 every night, but if he did, that would help. But, you know, he saw a lot of one-on-one matchups uh, against Portland, and I think the teams are going to look at that film and say, hey, we leave this guy one-on-one, he's going to go for 40. So he's not going to see a lot of one-on-one matchups again. But you know, they could very well match up, match up against, uh, against Sacramento. I know De'Aaron Fox was out whenever they played, so he'll probably be back, and that would be – That'll be a little di- a little bit different of, of a look, but uh, they they match up well against a lot of these teams. And like, like I said, in the next eight games, if, if they could pick up five, maybe six of them, I think they'll be in good shape. But Ingram didn't play in that game either. That was the last That's time right. that someone other than Ingram led the Pels in scoring, and, and Trey Murphy went off for thirty in that game. And Ingram's starting to look good. I mean, he's starting to look comfortable. He's starting to look like the guy that. The guy that we we saw last year, and you know, the first few games back, he was rusty and rightfully so. I mean, we, I think I, I might have been expecting a little bit too much. I wanted him to come in and and look like the way he had, he had looked before the injury. And I mean, when you miss almost thirty games, you're going to come in and look a little rusty. But now he's he's back into the swing of things. He's he's feeling it. And and the other night, he looked really good on that forty point game. Remember, we said he had thirty six against the Magic, and he didn't look that good. But the 40 against the Blazers looked really good. I think a lot of it had to do with the one-on-one matchups. But, yeah, he's looking really good, and, and I'm liking what I'm seeing from him. So he, he's he's the primary scorer. He's the guy we got to ride while Zion doubt, and right now he's stepping up to it. All right, so you're ironically tied for ninth with the Jazz. Uh, as we speak, you're three games out of fourth place and two and a half games out of 13th place. So all kind of stuff can happen. Uh, again, we're on – this is uh, – here comes the sun Monday, so – I mean Friday. So what do you what do you what are you thinking is the ceiling here? I want to try to get back up into that fourth spot. I mean I think they can. They're so close to it. And the, and you know you mentioned the schedule right when we started today. You're right. The schedule is is advantageous to get a bunch of wins. We went on a ten game losing streak earlier in the year. I mean there's no rule that says we can't go on a streak now. It's going to be tough without without Zion. I don't know when he's going to come back, but. But these guys seem to be playing well, and if they do a lot of the things they did against Portland, now let's let's, let's talk about Portland for a minute. They're, they're not a good team. So the Pelicans beat a bad team, and I'm not I'm not saying I'm mad at it. I'll, I'll take all the wins, but it's not like they beat a juggernaut. The next the, the few teams that they play coming up are, are better than the Blazers. If they can pick up five or six wins, it, it's looking pretty good. If we can get back into that four spot, it's not likely. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some luck. But they can do it, and so I'm shooting for at least the six. Where we're not in the playing game, that would be that would be what, what the realistic goal is, the six. But then possibly, you know, if you rattle off three or four, and you beat Dallas and you beat the Lakers and win some games, maybe you shouldn't win. 
Now you start looking at that four spot again. I mean, it wasn't so long ago that we were talking about them being up there. So uh, I think they have an opportunity to do it. They just have to win win a few games. So you're right. The the, the sun the sun may be coming, and if, if it does, they, they can really get up there and, and get where we want them to be. All right. Seems like the key, if we're going to do in this next six or eight games, or however many we just rattled off here, uh, is to get a split this weekend. Like, you know, I don't know how likely that is, but a split this weekend would be huge to me. Yeah, and the last and Kevin, the last time you did this, and, and look, I, I didn't give you credit for it last time, but the last time you called for something like this, they swept them. You called for a split, and they won both of them. So yes. maybe it happens again where you, you call for a split, and, and they actually win both of them, and, I, and I'll accept that gladly. All right, so before we let you go, I know we mostly talk about the Pelicans, but we all we normally talk a little bit about the Saints as well. I'm going to ask you the same question I think I asked you a week ago because this saga never seems to end. Like, will it ever end? Like, uh, do you feel better or worse? Because I got to tell you, I feel better than I did last week when I talked to you about the possibility of getting Derek Carr. Me too. I listened to uh, Nick Underhill's podcast earlier this week. He said, "Welcome to week four of the Derek Carr saga." Like it just, it just won't end. Yeah, I do feel, I do feel a little better. It's crazy how this is happening, man. Because you know, we don't know anything. We, we just, we're going off of what these yes. people are saying. We're not actually talking to anybody. But you know, I read. Last week, I was reading all the stuff, and I was like, "Oh, he's going to the Jets. It's over." And now I'm reading all this stuff and listening to it. I'm like, "Well, you know, he, he's he's talking to the Saints of the combine and." I think the Saints are still the leader in the clubhouse, man. I just think it makes the most sense for them for them to come together. It doesn't mean it's going to happen, but both parties want to be with each other, and it just it just seems like it's going to happen. And I know some people will talk about the salary cap and how much that that's going to affect them, how much money we're going to have to give their car. I I don't worry about any of that stuff. I think they'll they'll make it work. So I think he's he's doing his due diligence and trying to get the most amount of money. But at the end of the day, I, I do still think he's going to come with this. Raymond and I agree on some things, and we disagree on others, but we're both kind of high on the defensive tackle from Baylor. Have you looked at the draft, and is that who you want, or do you have an early leader in the clubhouse, like for the Nick Fontenot? Because last year, remember, you got everything you wanted in the offseason and it didn't end up winning, uh, turning out too good, so maybe we want to go back to not getting what you want in the offseason. That has never happened to me before where I got I got Tyron Matthew and they drafted both of the guys I wanted in the first round. I wanted Kenning and Alave, and I was like, if they get one of them, I'll be happy. And they got both of them. I was it was unbelievable. It's never happened. They never pick who I want. No, I haven't started looking at the draft yet. I, I need the quarterback chip to fall. I need to just find out who our That's quarterback fair. is. Yes. You know, I had it. I had an interesting conversation with our mutual friend Eric Narcisse yesterday who mentioned that he, he's thinking it's going to be Jameis Winston. I haven't even thought about Jameis Winston being a possibility. No, what do you it's think not, about that? It's not a possibility. He needs to get that out of his head. You know, it's amazing because uh, Eric want, was, wanted Jameis Winston the first time they got Jameis Winston, and he couldn't wait. He could got to get him, got to get him. And I was like, okay, I, I, I'm willing to try. Let's go. And then they got him, and they still didn't get him. Like, never, they never used him or never really played him, in my opinion. And, and, and so now we, we will never know how the Jameis Winston thing, but that ship has sailed. You can forget about that. Yeah, just just let me know who my quarterback is. I don't. It doesn't matter who it is. I just want to know so that I can have that figured out. And yes. No, that's fair. Draft. Yeah, that 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 is totally fair. All right, we'll see uh, how this here comes the sun weekend turns out. Hopefully, hopefully it get at least a split. Well, thank you for your time, sir. All right, Flip. Thank you.
This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. Speaking of here comes the sun, Miss McNeese, play-by-play announcer Tom Hafer. How are you, sir? Outstanding. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Good to hear from you today. Well, we talked about basketball and bas- and you still t- we're still talking basketball. <laughs> we're glad to be still talking basketball. I promise you that. Both the the men and the women played well on uh, on Wednesday night and got into the tournament. Uh, I think the women were already in, although the permutations of figuring out all the tiebreakers was so nuts, we weren't really sure about it. Uh, but they each beat UNO on uh, Wednesday night. The men and uh, another big come-from-behind uh, win. They needed two other teams uh, to lose to get into the tournament, and uh, the, the other teams took care of business, and the Cowboys won and got in by the skin of their teeth and and it was I, I got to tell you this the team look it's not a very good team for for McNeese standards um but with all of the craziness that has gone on with the injuries and uh the the close losses the heartbreaking losses over the course of the season it honestly was one of the more satisfying wins that I can remember in you know in several years for the Cowboys on uh on Wednesday night just to just to come from behind uh, with only seven active players and uh, and have the you know the the wherewithal and the motivation not to just pack it in and say you know so long for the season, uh, it, it was really a lot of fun and uh, the crowd was into it and, and a great night out at the uh, out at the Legacy Center. All right, so we've seen it within games before. When you have a hill to climb, sometimes you can muster up all this effort and then when you actually catch up you kind of run out of gas and the other team just pulls away so how because of their depth issues how worried are you about that uh now that they're they made it to the tournament oh it's it's been an issue for for weeks you know even even when we we were down to nine players it was a problem you know you you were you were facing other people that were playing a lot more guys and uh and that's when the that's when some of those close game issues started cropping up. And you didn't know if it was inexperience or fatigue or what, but it was consistent. I mean, they had the nine-game losing streak, and at least five of those games you could say, yeah, I think they wore out. Um, and, and then it went down to eight and then it finished the season with seven. It was an issue all along. And now, of course, you're going into a tournament where you're the eighth seed, and so you've got to play every – you know, you've got to play so many times more than the, the teams with the buys do – that uh, I mean, it's a it's a an enormous hill to climb uh, for the Cowboys. But uh, hey, they they have played everybody. You know, they played to the level of every every team in the conference, and would not surprise me if you know they don't win, but they put a scare into some good teams. All right, so tell me about the matchups from earlier this year and how it plays into in their first opponent in Corpus. Yeah, in Corpus. Uh, I have to go back and look at the schedule and remind myself of what they did against Corpus um, or Commerce. I think is who the Cowboys. Yeah, right, play, right, 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 yeah. right. And oh, and look when when we played when we played Commerce, 
I called them corpus like 14 yes, different times in the broadcast. I, yeah, I just and, did it And again. then vice yeah, versa. Yeah, yeah. And if I get Houston Christian right, you know, that's a miracle that, you know, there's been divine intervention that, that uh, occurred to make that happen. Yes. But uh, so the Cowboys lost at Commerce on the 4th of February, which was just, you know, just a couple weeks ago or three weeks ago. Um, they, they lost in overtime. Now I remember it early in January against Commerce uh, at home. Commerce is a pretty good ball club. Um, and, uh, they, you know, they did a lot of things. Well, that was one of those games. In fact, it may have been the first game of that losing streak that the Cowboys endured. Yeah, I think that's right. I think they won their first two, the first one back in, in, uh, the last week of December. And then the first one in January against Northwestern. And then they lost to commerce at home. And that started that long, that long losing skid. Um, commerce is going to be a tough opponent for them though. So there's no question about it. All right, so I know, for at least because we're closer to the end of the season, there's a certain amount of focus, and, and you're hosting uh, the Southland Conference Tournament, Men and Women's Tournament in Lake Charles. But, you know, nice week for the baseball team. The Cajuns go down there on Tuesday. They get a win. They handled Southern, and then now you're playing a home series against GW this weekend. Yeah, they, they, it was a nice win. They were good pitching performance against the Cajuns on, uh, on Tuesday night, and then they just took care of business. Uh, on Wednesday against uh, at Southern, so it was uh, it, it was a good week. Um, it, it, all these you know people coming in from out of town early in the season that you just don't know a whole lot about, um, and, and it's still so much about can they get the bullpen roles settled down and get their starters, you know, the weekend starters settled down and those types of things. Still working on that. I, I'm, I mean, I feel good about it. their offense is really good, and if they get pitching like they did on uh, on Tuesday and. Then last Friday um, for Grant Rogers, they're going to be fine. You know, it seems like McNeese is in the same situation that Cajuns and probably a lot of other pitching staff right now. It's about controlling the walks. I mean, even the other day, Morrow got away with like four or four or five of them, and he hit a batter. But uh, it's about controlling walks. The Cajuns have the same issue in the bullpen. You know, and you can't really get the guys, uh, all of the guys, enough work. That's one of the that's one of the difficult parts of it. Sometimes it's best just to take one of those midweek games and pitch everybody. And I I know they'll they'll uh, a lot of teams will do that just to get people work because uh, you know control problems and and getting you know getting consistency with that it only comes from from repetition and and getting the innings in and. If you're trying to win ball games, you know you you walk a couple guys in two thirds of an inning, you might be out of there and not get the work in that you need. So it's a really tough balance that they got to have on uh, on all of that. And and uh, you know some guys it, it it happens every year. Some guys just get buried because they can't get you know they they just can't get the control down. All right, speaking of Cajuns versus Cowboys, that's going to happen again this afternoon about 2 o'clock in Austin, Texas. Cajun softball team is playing against the McNeese softball team in the uh, Longhorn Invitational. And, McNeese, look, McNeese has played the Cajuns tough for years. I mean, uh, re- you know, every time they play them, they either beat them or, or it's really competitive. So, I mean, I don't know really what to think of the mental makeup of the McNeese softball team right now, but obviously they've had some great wins this year. Yeah, they really have. I mean, the the win against Washington was really good over top ten program, et cetera. And and you know, um, Coach Landerno has got them playing really well. They're they're just good, and and they've got two pitchers pitching really well. I think they're resting one of their one of their starters this weekend, 
um, minor shoulder issue that they think they can get rid of if they don't um, don't use her too much. So resting this this week, but they're uh, you know they're solid. And if you got two pitchers in college softball that you can really trust, and they got them in Tate and Vallejo, that, that you know. Uh, it's such an advantage when you play a lot of games on these tournaments early in the season and, and you, you're playing back to back like a Friday and then a Saturday doubleheader and uh, softball, you can come back and pitch on the next day quite often. You can get by with two pitchers really well. All righty, sir. We appreciate your time as always. Good luck. Y'all have fun this weekend. Well, I promise you we'll have fun at the tournament. It'll see a lot of basketball over the next few, uh, few days and, Uh, Looking forward to it. We'll check in next week. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey said that game listeners prefer our station than filing their taxes. Take that, taxes. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Two footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline 7060111. So we've talked Pels. We've talked about McNeese's situation going into Southland Conference Tournament, a little bit about the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. Uh, again, if you have not heard, Georgia Southern beat ULM last night by nine. Cajuns will play Georgia Southern. 7.30 scheduled time tomorrow night in Pensacola. Yeah, it's um, – I don't know. It's not the it's not the best case, I guess. I think playing Monroe would have been better. But Sarasov didn't play last night again, who we talked on RP3 a good bit about it. He didn't play against Cajuns the first time around. Yeah, what's his deal? So he was – he's in a walking boot. I don't know what the injury is, but I heard him talking about it on the broadcast. He was kind of like a game-time type thing, and he didn't play, and he was in a boot, which – Again, my kind of perspective on that was if he's got an ankle sprain, I don't think the boot would mean he's not going to play this weekend because he would be in a boot anyway just to make sure he doesn't, you know, put any undue stress on it while walking around throughout the day. So, I don't know. He's going to be questionable and probably like, again, a game-time type decision. He's their leading scorer, 14 a game, and the Cajuns haven't seen him. So, I think that kind of, you know, I was talking about it with RP3. It's kind of an interesting thing of they're now preparing – Maybe for him, maybe against him. We saw when, you know, when UL. Now, I think this is a little different than like when, when Jordan Brown didn't play and we saw how much Troy struggled with that because at least the Cajuns had, they, they know he might not play. So they're probably right. preparing for both situations. It's not like they're going to show up to the arena and find out that he's not playing. But um, that does provide an interesting wrinkle. The only thing that worries me is they shot nine out of 18, 50% from three last night. One of their guys went four or five. Uh, the kid Archie hit a dagger late in the game. So they started to heat up. That that's concerning for you again. That's what they did the first half in the Cajun Dome is they just shot the lights out. So you're gonna have to be able to uh, you know either a stop them from outside and not allow them to get good looks off or overcome their hot shooting, which is what they did last time around. So, um, 
No, they, yeah. But, I mean, that was uncharacteristic. If I were, I'm going to have to go back and look this afternoon now that I know that they're playing them for sure. But my memory from the first time, they were like eighth or ninth, something like middle of the pack and three-point shooting coming into that game. Yeah, And they not, just went crazy in the first half. Yeah, they're not the best three-point shooting team in the conference yeah. or anything like that. But um, they've got – so the other thing, too, that's a little bit interesting is when they don't play Sarasov, which, again, he didn't play last night, they kind of go to a four-guard lineup the way like uh, Old Dominion does and James Madison does. So they play more of their – they try to just, you know, beat you with outside shooting a little bit more than Sarasov when they kind of – I think it kind of changes their whole offense. I haven't seen a ton of games where he's played. I've actually – I think three or four of the games I've seen them play this year, he didn't play. Um, but he is their best scorer, so it's kind of weird that they, um, you know, it's – with the Cajuns, when Brown's out, I don't think too much changes because they still work it inside, to, you know, whether it's Terrence Lewis or whatever else. But it seems like for, for Georgia Southern, they kind of just completely change what they do. Now, here's three-point shooting. Yeah, they're 10th in the league in three-point shooting percentage. So they're not even in the top half of the league. Right. Of course, the Cajuns are number one in that department. So field goal, three-point shots made, they're 10th as well. So they don't – I mean – that was you, that would tell yeah, you. I that, thought they were like eighth or ninth when they played them. You know, however many weeks ago. So yeah, that's not a surprise. I, I just again, my concern for the, my only really concern for the Cajuns is, I if the Cajuns are going to do this, it seems like they're going to have to have at least one game where somebody other than Jordan or Greg scores a lot of points. Yeah, so, I would agree with that. I think you've got to find a way to get Cantrell back and going again because he even if he just scores eight, I mean, yeah, I don't just need him to score two or, twenty. You know, a couple of threes that kind of spaces the floor too. I think when you've seen Cantrell hit one early, that's really helped them. You know, like it puts the other team kind of in a different mindset of having to get out on him. And look, if it's not going to be him, then maybe it's going to be Jalen Dalcor. We've talked about that. He played well in this tournament a year ago. He's a senior leader. He's a guy who's been there before and. And he doesn't necessarily need the amount of space Garnett does, even though he doesn't shoot at as high a, a rate. Garnett only really takes open looks. So that's another thing we've talked about. He doesn't take shots yes, when he's contested. He's not going to force anything. And he's not very good when he gets contested. Whereas Dalcourt, whereas he doesn't make as many, he can take some tougher shots and hit them at times. What about Kobe? I, I just don't have any idea what to expect. Yeah, no, and that's, you know, it, it's been like kind of phases. He came back, and I thought he looked bad his first few games back, and then he really, you, you could tell he was getting his legs underneath him. And he had that stretch where he played pretty well. He had that one game where he kind of carried the load a little bit and had like 14, 15 points. And then towards the end, he kind of faded back out. Now, he wasn't playing as many minutes either. Right. So he's a guy that's capable. I think that's another thing, too. When their three-point shooting kind of went cold towards the end of the season, he wasn't hitting any as well, and he's a guy who can, when he gets hot, he can make a few in a row. So maybe he provides you a spark as a shooter, if nothing else. The other thing, and we don't know the answer to this, but it was peculiar that Themis didn't play at all down the stretch in the last game. Um, You know, I don't know what to make of that. We asked Coach Marlin about it, and he kind of said it was a matchup deal. You know, you, you, you hope there's no issues there physically or otherwise. Uh, and then I guess we'll find out, to, you know, tomorrow night when they play. 
you know, w- what it's like and if Themis can go back to creating. I don't know. It was just kind of strange, that that situation. Yeah, and we, and we couldn't really get a read on it. Again, we, we heard, you know, Michael Thomas's comments were a little, although I, I don't know if it was more of just him being nervous to answer questions in general because he doesn't feel like the yeah. most comfortable guy, but he kind of, he sounded like he knew he was going to play, though, which was a, the only thing we could, like, maybe try and gather something. But again, everything sounded matchup-wise, and Themis didn't look like there was anything wrong with him, so... You know, he was up celebrating with the guys after the game. It wasn't like he was kind of walking gingerly or looked like we had thought maybe he had had a, some type of head thing, but then they didn't. that didn't seem like that was the case either. So all indications are that he's fine. Yeah, I guess we'll find out, A, when the starting lineups are released, and then And just see just, how the rotations match Yeah, up. yeah, and because I think Themis is your best ball handler. I think Mike has, has played fine, and I wouldn't be – I would. I don't think that changed. That's not like Jakeen and Gant missing. You know, a few years ago when your team was loaded and you lost a guy who was just a key piece. I think they they have a great other option in Mike. But um, yeah, we we haven't seen Mike play more than maybe twenty five minutes in a game. Yeah, certainly not more than that. So um, you hope Themis is able to. They go. both over dribble at times, but it's it's nice to have point guard options. That's it for the first hour. Another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111. Again, we're broadcasting live from the EVCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EVCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Again, we've got Sunbelt Conference basketball, the Cajuns against Georgia Southern. Tomorrow, about 7.30 from Pensacola. McNeese made the tournament, so they're going to be playing Texas A&M Commerce at about 5.30 on Sunday. We've got Cajun softball this afternoon in the Longhorn Invitational, 2 o'clock McNeese. I uh, forgot to write down. I think the um, the Texas game is kind of right after that, 5 or 6 o'clock sometime. Uh, it, softball? Yeah. I think it's a five. Five, yeah. So and so they play in that tournament. Baseball opens a three-game series, 6 o'clock tonight against the Campbell Campbells. And I know that sounds a little silly, but this is not a silly program. They're 6-1. and one. They won over 40 games last year, uh, made it and won a game in the Knoxville Regional over Georgia Tech. Again, this is a really good hitting team. So the Cajuns will play 6 o'clock tonight. At Russo, two o'clock tomorrow, one o'clock Sunday. So that again, good, good test. Period. But a really a big test for the pitching staff to see how they do. Jake Hammond will get to start. Uh, Tommy Ray, who had a fantastic start in his last one, he has his skeptics. So we'll see how he does. And this, I mean, if he pitches well again, it's gonna be hard to keep him out of the the weekend rotation at least for now. And Jackson Nezu, who. First two starts were awful. He had a good inning in relief in McNeese, struck out three of the four batters he faced, uh, and then he's getting a schedule to get a start again on Sunday. So we'll see how, like, if he pitches well again, that's encouraging. So we'll see what happens. Um, Blake McGee, was the game two starter in the opening weekend, and he 
at Rice, he, he didn't give up any runs. I think he went three innings, if I remember correctly, or four innings, something like that. But he walked like six. He didn't give up any runs. But uh, he had a little bit of inflammation or whatever they want to call it. Um, and so, you know, it'll take some time, but hopefully he'll be back soon. So, again, lot of lots of pitching issues to potentially – uh, iron out and and see how that step goes. You'd like to get Max Morshock hitting. You'd like for Rockefeller, Rockefeller, Rockefort, who has show, who showed some signs. He went two for three with RBI double uh, at McNeese on Tuesday. You'd like to see him continue. To, he's showing some signs of breaking out, really breaking out. And then we'll see what happens with all the other positions and and and, and if guys continue to hit or not. So lots to. St- to kind of monitor um, and, you know, you'll just kind of see how that that plays out uh, over the weekend position-wise. All right. Also, we've talked plenty of NFL already, uh, you know, a little bit anyway with the, uh, you know, the latest. In the, and look, there is no latest other than every thing that you hear about the Aaron Rodgers situation points to him not going back to Green Bay. But none of that's official. It's just speculation. Um, is he really going to do it again where he's going to make him wait and wait and wait and then just go resign? It just doesn't seem that way, but maybe so. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. And then does Green Bay at that point, which it seems like they're kind of getting there. We, I thought they might be there that last year. Because you remember when Favre, it just kind of became a, a situation where Green Bay was like, we're, we're sick of dealing with this, and we have enough of a plan in place that we're not going to feel like we're being held hostage by you, so you're done. And then they moved in, you know, they moved on with Rodgers. Apparently it seems like they're kind of at that point with Jordan Love where they, they maybe they don't feel as good about Love as they did about Rodgers, but they feel okay enough to go, if you're going to just keep acting like this, we're just we're done. We're going to move on. So... I think they might be getting to that point, and, and maybe they're already there, and maybe we'll see in a couple weeks. Now, but. I haven't monitored the Jets that closely, but if you remember, and the Saints have already done it somewhat, a little bit anyway, but if you remember when the Saints made their move for Deshaun Watson, they had to you know rework all their deals and cut this guy or whatever. You got to prepare for that. It, it doesn't just, okay, I want to trade for Aaron, for Aaron Rodgers. I mean, they got to be able to make it work. Yeah, I think the Jets have a lot of maneuverability, though, because, you know, you'll remember they aren't paying a big-time quarterback right now. Zach Wilson was on a rookie deal, and Mike White was, a, what, an undrafted free agent or whatever he was. Um, and they haven't they haven't spent a ton of money, so I don't know the number, but I think they have a, uh, I think they have a decent amount of maneuverability there. Now, the weird thing about that, though, that's the other thing, is the compensation level. If they're going to have to trade for Rodgers, I would be really interested to see what that would look like because... Green Bay doesn't have the most leverage in this situation, just given how powerful Rodgers has kind of proven to be in the past. So if the if if and a if if there's only a few teams interested, that's another thing. Is this going to become potentially a bidding war for Aaron Rodgers? And at the end of the day, though, I'd have a feeling that Rodgers is not going to. I don't know if he has the ability contractually to demand it, but he's not just going to go anywhere. And you feel like he's got enough pull to where he's going to, you know, go where he wants to go. So how does that line up with the teams that want him versus where he wants to go? Yeah. Well, again, all the talk is Jets Raiders. We had a we asked a question earlier. I asked a question earlier this week, like where else might he go? Like, 
I hate being caught off guard. I like at least speculating. Well, he might go here, and then if that happens, well, it might be third or fourth in the list, but at least you're not just, wow, I never th- saw that coming. You know, I, I, I keep seeing all these stupid headlines that make me want to throw stuff or throw my computer down. Surprise team that might get Lamar Jackson, Atlanta Falcons. Well, don't talk to me about a surprise. We've been talking about that for over a month over here, obsessing about it. No surprise to me. Let's let's just make sure that doesn't happen. But um, I don't know. The Dolphins are the only one I could come up with. I, I just don't. I mean, I guess you might say the Arnolds are a surprise, but they wouldn't be a surprise in that they need a quarterback. Yeah. But but they also have a top ten pick, and so therefore they have the option to draft in one of the rookies, top rookies, if they would like to go that route. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 interesting because we mentioned it. It, it just you need the domino to fall. You you need the first one to happen, and then we'll see what happens from there. Because once once somebody makes some decision, I think that really puts the rest of this in motion. But I did want to kind of pivot there and talk about things that were surprising yesterday. We talked about the Sun Belt tournament that we knew an upset was coming, but Old Dominion couldn't throw it in the ocean. I mean, that was one of the worst offensive performances. Well, I and- didn't see any of it, but but I we talked about it before how team I didn't think he would be like they shot 23%. You know, that's yeah. just deplorable. But uh, but we talk about how when you go to a tournament a lot of times, you know, you just have nerves, and it's not about shooting, which, again, Coach Broadhead has preached that for years that once you get to postseason, it's about defense because it's, it's harder to maintain hot offense for three or four games. So I get that, and obviously you have to have some offense. I mean, but, man, that's taking it to the extreme 23%. Well, and that is brutal. The, you know, everything we talk about, trying to peak at the right time, playing your best basketball headed to the tournament. They just beat two of the best three teams in the conference back-to-back, yeah. back, and yeah. here they come. Now, the only I thing— I think most of that stuff's overrated. I mean, look at the Cajuns last year. They didn't have hardly any momentum going into the yeah. tournament, and they made it to the finals as an 8 seed. The other thing that I'll—it I'll, I, doesn't scare me, but just kind of gets you, if you're a Cajun fan and you're kind of thinking about the scenarios that tomorrow's game can play out— Texas State. Now, look, I said I did think of the bottom four. They were the one I felt like could make a run, and here they go. They you win were right. two games. I didn't think that. But the other, the thing to kind of consider, they played a game before that game against Old Dominion. They kind of got themselves. They didn't play great, but they did enough to beat Georgia State. They got some, you know, momentum under their belt. They were able to play in that gym, and then they come out and Old Dominion again, a team who didn't get to play in that gym. And the coaches have kind of talked about you don't get to practice in in the arena because there's games going on all day. Old Dominion came out as flat and as poorly shooting as I've ever seen a team play in a tournament game. I mean they they scored 36 points and they were lucky to get to 36. So you hope that, now I don't think the Cajuns are like that and and they have some veteran guys and the, and the difference also is that the Cajuns aren't going to rely on as much. On the outside, if they can't shoot well, I think they'll try to work it to Brown and things like that. And the good thing thing also is I don't think Georgia Southern particularly has a great answer for them if they work it to them. But that's the thing to worry about is Georgia Southern got a game last night. If they get their momentum and they shoot the ball as well as they did, then you could be in a little bit of trouble. But the game that, again, I would most like to see, other than the Cajuns, obviously, is South Alabama. And Southern Miss, so we'll, it'll be very interesting to see. Again, the game hotline is seven zero six zero one one one. You want to talk about 
Sunbelt Conference or Conference Tournament basketball period or the NFL situation, uh, certainly feel free to call again, 706-0111. We did talk about the Pels as well, and we'll see what happens to them play at Golden State tonight without Curry expected to play for the Warriors. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, um, yeah, I was just calling two quick things. First one, um, do we know who was, I guess, the main responsible person or who really wanted to pick Marcus Davenport and Peyton Turner? Um, You know, was it more Sean Payton? Was it Mickey Loomis? Did Dennis Allen have a lot of input in those picks? Just out of curiosity. And then also – I personally am a huge LSU fan. I listen to your show every day. Y'all rarely talk LSU. I know Jordy comes on in the afternoons and talks about it. But, I mean, you got the number one ranked baseball team in the nation playing this weekend, and y'all haven't really said much about it at all. you even talking about Aaron Rodgers, who I know you despise, instead of talking LSU. Um, so, just curious as to why well we don't no really we, talk we talked about stuff. we talked about the matchup with LSU and Butler and how you know I mean we didn't talk I mean I mean obviously LSU is 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 expected to crush him and we talked about how Campbell you know but Campbell to Cajun, the team that Cajuns are playing this weekend are playing played against Butler and scored 44 runs in three games just to kind of give you an idea of what we're potentially looking at in the two Butler games. Now, I didn't know a whole lot about Central Connecticut State, and Dawson talked about how where they finished last year in the con- in their conference up in the Northeast, and where and that they're predicted they won 27 games last year, so they might maybe be a little more competitive than than a Butler would be. But uh, we did talk about LSU's competition this weekend in those four games, which you know it's not expected to be much. Well, my apologies. I must have missed that yeah. segment. I just tuned in about, you know, 20, 30 minutes ago. Okay. But, um, all right. And I'm going to hang up and listen. I just, uh, you know, input on, like I said, the Saints picks on uh, Davenport and Peyton Turner. I'm just curious if Dennis Allen had a lot of input on that. I don't know if y'all know, but I'll hang up and Right. Listen. All right. Thanks. Well, we certainly don't know. I can't tell you for sure because they would never tell us that anyway. Now, to be fair, the – or to be, you know, to kind of look into it, the Davenport one fit the mold. Look, the the mold that L, that the Saints have had forever is they believe. I call their first round picks. It's more combine picks. Like they believe height, weight, strength, all of that. Now, one thing they tend to do is pick for the bigger schools. So. Texas uh, University of Texas San Antonio UTSA is not a tiny tiny school, but it's not a big school either. So Davenport was a little off the beaten path there, um, but he fit all the hot. You know they believe in picking line of scrimmage people that fit the height weight. You know they have all those measurables, yeah, all the combine measurables. That's the only thing I had to throw in. I, I don't know who was necessarily responsible, but I do know, and I forget exactly what they call it. I think it's something like raw athletic score. The Saints basically have this kind of philosophy, and it, it adds up a lot of different measurable things, and it's all about they basically try to get the best athletes, and they kind of think that their defensive coaches are able to mold those guys into better players. So they kind of value, I know at least on the defensive line, they value the athleticism a little bit more than like maybe their production in college. Right. And and I, you know, I'm fine with that to a certain extent. But I 
you know, I, I think that it could very well be that again because the defensive tackle, I think they need to draft a defensive tackle. I think if they draft an offensive guard or even a tackle, you know, you can't get you can only get so upset about that. I think running back's the big wild card in this year's draft strategy. But I, I would say Casper had more to do with it than anyone else. I'm sure Dennis Allen, that when they when you're talking about evaluating defensive players, gave his opinion on that because especially since he has a lot of Texas roots and they were both from Texas, uh, so I'm sure he had his, his a certain amount of say so. But I, I I think I think Casper had a lot to do. Now Dennis Allen's like I said, his first draft it was kind. Of, they picked an offensive lineman, but went from a big school and they picked from a big school a wide receiver, which the Saints don't always do. So. You know, I think so far the draft, his first draft was pretty good. We'll see what happens this time. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day. Every day, you're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on The Game, we have with us old friend Stevie P, who's the president of the Joe Ferguson Fan Club. I didn't know they had fan clubs for players that played like 50 years ago, but apparently they do. You just hate that guy. You know, <laughs> actually, though, if you remember back in 1980, the Astros had a, had a three-game lead on the Dodgers going into the final weekend, and Joe Ferguson doubled down the left field line to give the Dodgers a come-from-behind victory in the first game of that series. And, of course, the Dodgers went on to win both Saturday and Sunday. But Astros crushed their face. Joe Negro and company, um, you know, won the, the playoff game in, in 1980 on a Monday afternoon. Of course, the Astros go to the playoffs because of that. But, man, the man hates Joe Ferguson. You just love him for sure. All right, before we get to some other things, uh, let's talk a little business with recreation and parks. Yeah, we're we're closing our basketball season, uh, Kevin, but uh, that means baseball right around the corner. And, of course, we're doing uh, our spring baseball and, uh, and softball. This is for ages 5 to 14. Registration fee is only $35 per child. And, I mean, I, I can't guarantee you anything, but you go really around the country, and, and I, I don't think that you could find a cheaper price that includes, you know, uniform and you know, we save a couple of dollars to pay the umpires and everything, but $35, you know, in my opinion, I just don't think that you could beat that. But if, uh, you know, it, it could be a hardship case, financial aid is available for qualifying families. Um, we're going to begin online registration today. Uh, if you need help with that, uh, give us a call here at the office. My office number is 291-8380. That's 291-8380. But again, uh, ages 5 through 14, uh, registration is going to be going on through March the, uh, March the 18th. So it's kind of right, right around the corner. you got, what, about, about two weeks to, to get it done. Uh, you could register in person at the Robichaux Center tomorrow along with the, uh, with the Thomas Center from 11 until, uh, until 3 o'clock. But if you need any help at all, again, 
give us give me a call here. My desk number is 291-8380. 291-8380. Only $35, ages 5 to 14. And we welcome uh, uh, children of all ages and skill level to participate baseball and softball. All right. So lots of going on. We've got Cajun men's basketball. We've got Cajun baseball this weekend. Softball's in, in the Austin uh, and the Longhorn Invitational, LSU is playing four games this weekend at home against Central Connecticut State and Butler. And so I'm obviously the most important right now, I would say, is the uh, Sunbelt Conference basketball. Uh, do, do you have a good – like it, one thing that Coach Marlin's teams have done is they always seem to win at least one game. They rarely make the finals. Last year was a nice and, – and so – you know, it'll be very interesting to see how they handle this um, this weekend. Yeah, it, it will be, but I really like the way it's kind of set up for them. Uh, you know, again, they don't play until tomorrow. Uh, I think the bracket kind of just kind of falls in their favor. And, you know, I, I'm still of the opinion, look, it's not like you're talking about you know, the Golden State Warriors going up against E.P. Boss. I mean, I get it. You know, Marshall's good. Uh, Southern Miss is good. And, and, and all due respect to, to, to Southern Miss, do, do, do you really trust them? You know, do you really trust Marshall? I, you know, it's a, but, but those teams could obviously defeat the Cajuns, but uh, I, I stand by the statement that I made at the beginning of the year and that I think the Cajuns are the best team in the, uh, in the league. So I really think it's set up for them. Um, you know, it's difficult to win a tournament because, again, the, the, the disparity, the, there's really not much. So, uh, you know, I certainly can't guarantee anything. But I think that the, that the best team in the league, I think the, uh, the bracket fits them. Uh, they're my pick to win it. And, no, I don't pick the Cajuns all the time. But I, I really think it's there for the take. And I'll be disappointed if they didn't get it done. Well, you know, a lot of Cajun fans would say, look, you haven't made the tournament in almost a decade. It's time. And so, yes, it is. It would be a tremendous thing. All right. Another thing I want to get to with you, because you have I know you have some strong opinions on this and it's going to it's going to be it's come up again this week because um, there's a kid uh, in Detroit, Detroit Mercy's Antoine Davis. And he has scored a bunch of career points, and he came close to Pete Maravich. And um, I had a nephew who's like, man, Pete Maravich scored that many points? I said, yes, Pete Maravich scored that many points when, yeah. he, when, 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 when he played. And yet there's a, there, there's this long time, not just a Pete Maravich thing. We talk about it here with, um, you know, with Bo Lamar and all the points he right. scored and how they did not – how many more points they would have scored – had there been a three-point line, and I know you don't buy that logic, and so I'm thinking that statement's going to be made in South Louisiana a lot with the Pete Maravich stuff being brought up. So give us your opinion on that. Oh, you're trying to get me fired up now, huh? It's people. What have I, what have I been preaching for years, Kevin? The large sample size. All of these people. And look, I, I got tremendous respect. For Bolamar and and you know Pistol Pete Maravich, I mean I could watch Pistol on YouTube videos just you know all the time. I mean you know constantly. But please don't tell me, please don't tell me that they would have scored oh twice as many points as they did had there been a three point line. There wasn't a three point line, so so uh, teams let them shoot. It's common sense. 
would you rather a guy take it to the hole or would you rather him shoot from 30 feet out? I'm going to let him shoot from 30 feet out. And guess what? They made some, but also they missed some. You look at, at, at Pistol and Bo. I think both of them shot 44% from the field. Andrew Tony shot 48% from the field. I mean, it's not like they, it's not like they never missed. They missed a lot. Teams at, 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 at those times, they say, okay, this guy's going to pull up and, you know, try to shoot a 30-footer. Okay, let him shoot the 30-footer. So, you know, he, and, and, yeah, he made some, but they both, they missed a lot. They missed a, You can't tell me that, that if they had the three-point lines that teams wouldn't have done what they're doing right now. Okay, go out and defend them a little bit. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that be what you, what you tell a guy? Go out and defend him. So back at, in those days, they let those guys shoot from 30 feet out. Nowadays, they're not going to let them shoot from 30 feet out. So it's, and the game was just different back then. You know, people talk about how there's no defense played nowadays and whatnot. Folks, again, the best defense that's played in basketball, college basketball and the NBA is being played right now. Guys used to run up and down the court like crazy, and they miss shots. That's why Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell, you know, used to pull down 20 rebounds per game because guys couldn't shoot. They run up and down the floor, they couldn't shoot. It was just, it, it, it's crazy. So please don't say that those guys would have scored, you know, twice as many points because that's not true. Defenses would have came out and they would have guarded them. And look, I have as much appreciation for history. You know that. I mean, I just bring up random names sometimes and, you know, just, just kind of, kind of talk about him. Manny Trio. Let's just throw him out, uh, out there. I mean, yeah, I've got all the respect in the world for Manny Trio. But those guys wouldn't have scored. It's too simple to say, oh, well, you know, Bolamore and Pistol, you know, they, uh, they, they hit so many shots from 30 feet and beyond, so you just add another point. No, it's not that simple. you got to keep in mind the large sample size. The defense would have went out and guarded those guys. So please stop saying that. You think? I think I punched a button for the man. No, we've had that discussion before. I, I know. Now, one thing I disagree with you is, uh, kind of, sort of, is I think there was more defense played in the NBA five years ago and three years ago and seven years ago than there is being played right now. So why is that? Well, I, I, I think, though, that uh, as time goes on, there was more defense played in the Michael Jordan era. That's because – the the league office, the league let them play defense back then. You know, well, was that physical, wasn't basketball. Was that was brand. boxing. That was boxing. And then the 90s was the worst decade of NBA basketball ever. That wasn't even basketball. That was boxing. But go ahead. Well, and and, and nowadays, I, I, I think that there there's – I still think there's a lot of defense. I agree with you. I, I do think – now, I, I consider it – you know, eras, you know, five years ago, that was the same era. And that's why I'm saying that now it doesn't specifically mean right at this second. It means in the last 10 years. There's way so, too many that. points being scored. I, I don't yeah. know. Is it just because they're making that many threes? Like it's because it's because they're making that many threes. And, and also I think that, uh, uh, that there's not as many good three and D players as they were, meaning a guy that could hit a three point shot and then, you know, kind of, kind of defend the three point shot, and you know, guys just continue to get better and better. And and, and there's some guys that that uh, a lot of offensive players are just not very good defensively. And, and it's not that they don't try. You take the Mavericks for example. You know, and, and I, I made this statement when. 
the Mavericks traded for, for Kyrie Irving. Where's the defense going to come from? Hey, look, they won last night, they, but they won 133-126, to 126, and it took Kyrie and, and, and Luka both scoring over 40 points to win a game by seven points. That's because Luka, he tries defensively. But Luka's not quick, you know that. He's not an athlete. He's not long. He's just not a. He's just not made out to be a good defensive player. Now, Kyrie, on the other hand, I think he could be a better defensive player. Call it that he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to exert all that type of energy on the floor. But he's just not a very good defensive player. And I talk about exerting energy. That's the other thing. You, you know, NBA right now, the, the key phrase is workload. You know, which I think is kind of silly. I mean, go out and play basketball. You know what I'm saying? But I also think that the best offensive players, and let's face it, that's who's on the floor. You know, I mean, if you could average 20 points a game, you're going to be on the floor. But I think coaches tell those guys to take possessions off. You know, that's another thing. People keep running at the players. Oh, that guy's not even trying. Well, a lot of times the coach says, look, we don't want you to exert so much X amount of energy on the floor. We want you to save that for the offensive end. And so to answer your question, I think there's a lot of things involved. I really do, and that's just some of them. Well, I just hope it gets calmed down a little bit. I mean, it's just it's getting it's getting a little too much, but 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 we'll see. All right, it's always fun catching up with you. We'll see uh, what happens this weekend with the Cajuns and all the Diamond Sports. Hopefully, and get some pile up some more W's, and then maybe by the time we talk next week, we'll know something about Derek Carr. We'll see. This sounds good. And, and also, I want you to get a fathead of Blyma Driss, okay? Okay. Okay, it's been your pleasure, Kevin. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Alexa and the game make a great team. Do yourself a favor and enable the Alexa skill, the game Southwest Louisiana, so you can keep it locked in to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wherever you go. Welcome back to Footnotes. Always enjoyed talking on and off the air to Stevie P. Don't always agree, but, you know, he, he I brought up the point about the whole Bolomar and Pete Maravich thing, and, you know, I've heard player, I mean, I've heard fans of LSU or UL or vice versa. I mean, there were a lot of fans back then of both who's, who made that statement about, man, can you imagine if they had the three-point line? Well, I, I call it putting things through a filter. Now, does it mean that Stevie P's stance is 100% correct or the other stance is 100% correct? But my, my encouragement or exhortation on subjects like that or put things through a filter, which is essentially what I'm saying about this quarterback situation that, that has been my personal crusade for oh you know over a decade now and the whole QW thing, everything. Don't you because the national media tells you it's all about quarterbacks and and and, and, and you know if you have the great quarterback you're gonna win every game, you know Put it through a filter. Look beyond what's right in front of you before you before you come up with your conclusion on a particular issue is basically what I'm saying. And so I, I think it's a great discussion to have. I'm just ta- – I mean, how about exhortation on a Friday afternoon? Yeah. Last, you know, two segments to go. You're throwing that one out. I like it. You don't it. like to be exhorted? 
No, I just like the yeah. word. I think yeah. it's a nice, it's yeah, a nice it's a ten cool cent word. word. I think it's a good word. I, 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 I'm with you there. So, uh, you know, just like we were talking, and I and I think when here's the if you don't put things through a filter, here's the the the, the potential problem with that. Like, for instance. We were just discussing if the Cajuns play Marshall again. I think there are a lot of Cajun fans who are thinking, well, they beat Marshall pretty handily. I saw that game. But again, you got to put everything through a filter. When they played Marshall, it was the Cajun chicken night. They did a senior night then. It was the Cajuns built that game up big time. And that was an emotional game for them, and they played great. And also... Marshall shot terrible. Like they missed. It's you can say the Cajuns played great defense, and they did play good defense. But there were also plenty of games where plenty of shots where Marshall missed, where the Cajuns didn't necessarily play great defense on that play. Marshall just missed easy shots, and so I think sometimes you, you, you just you just gotta peel back the layers. Put things through a filter. So what happens is if you don't, then you you develop something in your mind as that's the way it should be. And when they when it doesn't happen, then you go to, well, that coach is an idiot, should be fired, or that player is terrible, he has no guts, or whatever. I mean, that's where so much of the overly negative criticism comes because we don't understand things like circumstance games and all the other factors that go into why a team wins and loses. Or, or, or in the issue that we were discussing, what Pete Maverick would have scored ten thousand points had, you know, he had a three point line. So, got to put things through a filter. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, Kevin, how you doing? Good, sir. How are you? Good, good. Uh, I have to disagree with Stevie P. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a basketball junkie, so I, you know, been involved with the game for a while, but. My thing is, my argument, I think they need to have an asterisk by this guy's point total because he's playing five years. He's got an extra year with COVID, you know? And also, Pete Maravich only played three years. His freshman year, they, had, they, played, they didn't play on varsity. They only, he only played three years. That's how impressive that is. No. Again, no one. I don't think anyone should be comparing this guy Davis to Pete Maravich, and the the, yeah. the amount of the amount of years that he played because of COVID compared to Pete. I mean, that's a hundred percent. What you're saying is a hundred percent valid. What Stevie's talking yeah. about is that old line. Can you imagine how many more points well, Pete and Bo would have scored had there been a three point line? Yeah, they would have scored more points, but it wouldn't have right, been as much right. as people think because people would have defended them differently had there been a three point line is Steve's point. Yeah, and I, I, I saw an article, or not an article, but I, I guess it was Tim Brando talking about, you know, Sam King, the big writer from years ago, followed press and pistol for years and was the beat writer, I guess, uh, back in Baton Rouge during the 70s. I mean, he said that, you know, most of Pete's, most of Pistol's points would have, would have, I mean, a probably 30 to 40 percent of them would have been three-pointers if they would have had a three-point line but I mean you know that's just that's hypothetical speaking too you know right I love I love listening to Sam King talk about or looking at watching old videos of him being interviewed about 
the pistol and stuff like that. You know? Oh, no question. It, 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 it's tremendous stuff. But again, Steve's point is all those right. shots that he hit, they would have defended many of them differently had True. they would have gotten three points for hitting them. True. Yeah. Well, the game has changed. I mean, look, we, we know the game has evolved over the years, and, 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 and that's, you know, with the three-point line, it's changed a lot of things. I mean, we didn't see six eleven uh, centers hitting three-pointers at a consistent level in, in when we were growing up in the 1970s and 80s. I mean, it just wasn't there. Right. Know? So, anyway – well, good deal. I appreciate uh, it. All right. Oh, wait, wait, wait. One more question. Sh- Shannon, if you were yep. to give uh, a player who's struggling free throw shooting advice, what would you say? Uh, I would say, well, I mean, you, you, you got to go back to the basics, really. I mean, just you, you, free throw shooting is all about cons- about doing the same repetitive thing over and over. So I would say – Find a routine that works for you, and and stick with it. And when you're struggling, you just got you. I mean, you just got to fight through it and, and give them the confidence in the world to say, "Hey, you, I know you can make these shots, you know." And this is, but let's go back to the basics. You know, find your target. Uh, do this. Do what you do, but do it do it repetitively every time. I get back to the old Danny Broussard shot doctor days, but he's you know. It's true. You do the same thing over and over. Uh, you do your same routine over and over, and it's going to become consistent. All righty, sir. Thanks for the call. All right. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on Footnotes, you may not always exactly hear what you want to hear, but you will hear what you need. And, of course, I got all these, oh, you're an idiot. And, you know, what kind of Saints fan are you? I mean, look, I'm not telling you what I want to happen. I'm telling you what's going to happen, what more than likely is going to happen. Back to more of the sports talk you need to listen to with footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest, Southwest Louisiana's sports, sports station. station. Welcome back to footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, if you would like to get in the game hotline, one last Opportunity 706-0111-1706-0111. I ended when Shannon called, and I got to tell Shannon if he's still listening, while we were having that conversation, I was thinking about, I don't know if it went through Shannon's mind, but it went through my mind when he called uh, two free throws that, uh, a young man named Jimmy hit at Lafayette High one night about, uh, I don't know, 36 years ago or 37 years ago. Or anyway, s- since I brought up free throws. But any- but um, the whole idea about free throws come Monday morning or Tuesday morning when we reconvene for the show, whether we're in Pensacola or here or wherever, um, let's hope. Free throw shooting will only be a discussion with a smile on our face. I mean, wouldn't it be 
By the way, if it happens, I'm taking full credit for it. That's just the way it works. Like, if the Cajuns win because they shot free throws, I will, whether it's accurate or not, and obviously it won't be accurate, but I will still take full credit for harping on it all season long and yeah. forever. I know I've said this before, too, but I'll say one last time. If, if the Cajuns control both of these games and are leading down the stretch – I don't anticipate an issue because they have enough guys. They've got a lot of guys that they feel really good about going to the line, whether it's Kentrell, Jalen Dalcourt, even Folks now, Greg Williams. I just worry if you're down late, if these games don't go quite as you want them to go and you're trying to you know, catch up or make a big bucket late in the game and you're going to Jordan Brown, who is your best player, you foul him and you send him to the line in big moments – I will be nervous, and maybe he'll knock him down, but I will be nervous. So that's oh that's no where, question. That's how I, I, I think he'll concentrate. I think he'll. I don't think he's gonna do anything like two for eleven like he did against South Alabama. But but um, you know, we'll see. Let I, let's just hope it. You know, it's kind of like we do. You know, the discussion or the level of discussion on it will be more like if you make the make the the chip shot field goal as opposed to missing it. So we'll see. How all of that plays out. Got got a lot to, to to focus on there. And you know, when we come back, so today's the third or fifth. It'll already be the sixth of March. And we'll, you know, it's not like we're gonna focus a lot on it, but we'll, you know, at least we'll mention it some. The World Baseball Classic will start next week, in addition to all the other college baseball and softball and you know. The Sunbelt Conference Tournament is this weekend, but and there are other tournaments going on, but the the vast majority of the conference tournaments that most of the country and big basketball fans in this area will be focusing on will be next week. So there'll be plenty more conference tournament action uh, next week as well. And I guess there are pros and cons to holding it early like the Sunbelt does, but I think mostly they get good run out of it. Yeah, yeah, no, and and I think you get a little bit more of the spotlight, which they kind of like as well, as opposed to they were always kind of like hidden in that Sunday afternoon window on playing on either ESPN two or U. I think also worth mentioning, LSU women's tournament starts tonight. They'll play Georgia at five. I think the reason we haven't touched too much on it is because I don't think we expect them to have any issues with Georgia, and really into the uh, SEC tournament final, we'd expect them to go against South Carolina, which again will be a good measuring stick, but. Even that, I don't know if you're going to take a ton of that. Coach Mulkey's kind of said in the past that she doesn't love, you know, she doesn't value the conference tournaments as much as some do because their goal is, you know, to make a big run in the actual tournament. Utah lost last night, so forget who was it that beat him. Anyway, Utah lost last night, and so they're not going to be a number one seed probably, so they'll be a two seed probably with LSU. Yeah, and I, I still think I've, you know, I've heard some people say they think LSU's locked into the two line, and I guess that's probably more likely. But if they do beat South Carolina in a potential SEC tournament championship, I'd have a hard time not putting them as a one seed. No, I agree. It's, it's, again, I, look, their non-conference schedule was awful. I mean, there's just no other way. It was awful. But you know, they're not the first SEC program in different sports to play an awful non-conference schedule. So. I think if they beat South Carolina, then I think you need to not worry about that. I mean, what, what, what does it matter I, well, that they played an awful non-conference schedule? 
Yeah, I think, point. and again, the, you know, Coach Monkey's kind of described the reason for that. They didn't expect to be this good. That's why they played the schedule they did because they thought they needed to build up confidence early in the season. But yeah, if they if they were able to beat South Carolina, I think they'd probably be a one. Being a one again doesn't really mean a ton, but it might as far as your path because I think. My feeling about this LSU women's team is there's a few matchups that, uh, well, again, we haven't seen them against too much top competition, so we don't know how it would go, but I think they'd probably struggle against a lot of the top teams. But if they get the right path, which is always interesting in the tournament, then they could could find themselves in the Final Four, certainly. But I think it's about getting a path because I think there's a couple of teams that are going to be seated in that 2, 3, and 4 line that might give them trouble. Might save them some travel money, too. (laughs) I mean, a lot of times, you know, you might be playing in Asia or something, so. Uh, it might save them some travel money. So yeah, we'll that's um, good job bringing that up. We can uh, we'll see how that that plays out as well. Um, again, when we come on Monday, we could be sitting right here again, or we could be in um, Pensacola for the Cajun's sake. Hopefully, we're doing it from a hotel room in Pensacola, and we'll see how how that plays out as the weekend goes on. Again, in the first. Hour we talked about the Pelicans as well, and they play tonight and Sunday. So, again, it could be here comes the sun weekend, uh, or it could be, you know, more of the long and winding road. We'll see how that plays out. But uh, really, the next couple weeks, we're going to be that much closer to the start of MLB. We're going to have all this conference tournament basketball action. Will uh, softballs will have another weekend uh, around here? You know they're playing in Texas, and then they're going to be playing in Florida. So, you know, getting that much closer to conference play, baseball will get more answers. Could be a lot, lot, lot to consider, and then all the NFL quarterback stuff. So, really busy next couple weeks, and lots to look forward to. I've begun some uh, draft prep, Saints. I've been looking at possession wide receivers. At Perry from Wake Forest is the first name I'll throw out, and I'll talk more about him next week. I heard you say that, but a lot of people are high on the cat from SMU, and it worries me that so many people are talking about him here and nationally that he's not gonna, he's not going to be there. He's as- Latest people thought. Yeah. Y'all have a nice weekend.